Well, I just swung by the Motel 6 and picked this thing up. Now, there was a hotel that donated this to us some time ago. And uh, if you're wearing a robe like this, this kind of means like you've made it. This is like the uh, five-star luxury living kind of robe. If you have a robe on like this and you're staying at a place that's pretty swanky, it means that uh, you don't have to worry about making your own food. Uh, You can just call Call up room service if you want, 24 hours a day, whatever, just about you want, and they'll they'll bring it to you. Uh, You don't even have to park your own car. Uh, You can just throw some kid your keys, and hopefully it's the valet, and they park the car for you, and you get it back with with the tip. You you know, you you can just walk into your room and near trash the place. Like, you don't even have to make your bed when you got this robe on. And when you leave and you come back, the towels that you threw on the ground and the bed that you had messed up and the stuff that you had scattered around, when you leave somehow, when you come back magically, it's all in place again. The bed is made. The towels are freshly laundered. Uh, all the soap that you used has been replaced for more soap for you to steal and pack. No, more soap for you to use. This kind of represents the, the pampered life, the relaxed life, the spa life. And I would say for a lot of us in this room, this, would, this kind of represents the life that we're, we're working for, like we're saving for, we're, we're looking for this retirement life where we can just sit back and relax. And maybe some of you right now are like, this is the, the life that I look forward to on the weekend. This is my weekend life. I put this robe on, I check out, I left it at work, and now I'm, I'm just relaxing. I I'm just on my time. It's about, it's about me right now. It's not about what I can do for anybody else. It's, it's about how I, can, how I can make the most of my time and someone else can maybe hamper, pamper me a little bit, uh, where I can relax a little bit. Well, I don't have to make your problem my problem. You know, this summer has been all about um, not following the crowd, but following Christ and laying our lives down at the cross And once you do that, you recognize that God did not call us to wear this robe. He actually encourages us and God challenges us through Jesus Christ himself and his example to take this robe off, to put this shirt on, this work shirt. And this is what Jesus Christ came to do. I mean, this was his mission. This was his motto. I mean, even though he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he should have come with this thing. He didn't. He, he wore this thing. Here's what he had to say in the, one of the Gospels. He says, for even the Son of Man, that was a term for himself, did not come to be served. He didn't come for this. He didn't come so that he could be served by you. He didn't come for the pampered life, the spa life, the relaxed life. No, he knew this life was temporary. He knew he only had so many years to squeeze himself out into other people. He came to to serve, and to give his life, like just generously hand this over, and he came with this shirt on, ready to work, ready to roll up his sleeves, ready to go at it to help some people as a ransom for many. God has called you, he's called me, if we're his followers, to say, this is not my pursuit anymore. My pursuit is not about what others can do for me. My pursuit is not to to make it to a level of success where I don't have to lift a finger to help anyone. I can just be helped myself. No, God says, through Jesus, this is the lifestyle we're after. 
the life that we have here, this temporary life to serve and to give ourselves over to others so that God may be glorified, so that people may be reached for the gospel, so that Jesus Christ may work in you and may Jesus Christ work through you. I want you to see this in a calling out that God has through Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. Turn there with me. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's all right. There's one in the chair rack that's in front of you. It is page 790. And I hope that you can turn there and the scriptures with me. We had looked a couple weeks ago at Jesus sending out the 72. A moment kind of like this moment, but it's not the same moment. This is a different moment. This is a moment where Jesus now sends out the 12. Those are the 12 disciples, the ones that you're probably most familiar with. His inner circle, the ones that were his boys, his crew. And he's just kind of put them together. He's readying them for ministry. He has taught them. He has been with them. He has walked with them. He has made sure that they knew his teachings, that they knew his lifestyle, that they could follow his example the best they knew how. He knew that they had been chewing on his teaching, that they'd been digesting it. And he's now ready to find out if they're willing and ready to exercise all the buffet spiritually they've taken in, all the teaching they've taken. Are you willing now to exercise it out? Guys, that's what, that's what we're asking you to do here in just the next 40 minutes is to exercise some of the things that we've been buffeting on, some of the things we've been feasting on. And as we exercise our faith and put it into motion and let God work through us as we get sent out of here to go pack some meals, like as we do that, we're going to be filling other people up, not with just food, but this crew that we're working with is going out with the gospel of Jesus Christ and that they meet with people who are in need, who are in disaster settings and hand out these meals They get to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ as well, that that he is the bread of life that has come. Let's look at Matthew 9. Let's see the sending out here, the key importance to it. Start in 35 with me, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. (laughs) I went through that really fast, but that's a pretty busy schedule right there. Just kind of go back, look through it. He was a traveling man. Uh, He went through the towns and the villages. Uh, By the way, most, more than likely on foot, takes a lot of time. Teaching in their synagogues. I don't know if you've ever stood before someone had to give a business presentation, had to teach somebody. It can be exhausting work. Uh, Sunday mornings, I'm I'm exhausted, and it's not so much physically, it's, it's emotionally, it's mental exhaustion, and it just can wear you out. And Jesus is being worn out by this, but then he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, and here's also what he's doing. He's healing the sick and every disease. And don't you think that just the moment when Jesus had healed one, five more come. And he heals those five, then ten more come. He heals those ten, twenty more come. And there's a constant line, and they're going to be taking numbers like you're waiting at the deli now. Next, next, next. And he can never get away from the people that are sick and diseased. He's constantly being the one that has to help in their time of crisis. And it says, because, uh, in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, here's a key, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We heard that term in the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus looked at that crowd. The disciples said they should have planned ahead. Jesus said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They, They don't have anybody to pastor them spiritually. They have no one to lead them in life. They're purposeless. They're like ships without a rudder. And then he said to his disciples in verse 37, guys, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He says that to the 12. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest. That's a way to say pray 
therefore, to send out workers in the harvest field. So all Jesus is getting at is, fellas, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of people out there that don't know who God is. They don't know his redemptive plan, that you have broke it. God had made it, but you had broke it, and Jesus came to fix it. And and Jesus can, can solve your sin problems, the biggest problem that we all have. Fellas, there's a lot of people that don't know that. And they're not going to be open to us, so, so we're going to have to figure out some ways to get to some people's hearts. So we might have to feed them physically so that we can feed them spiritually. But, but we can't do any of that, guys, until, until you, you're willing to leave the teaching and exercise your faith. And I'm just, I'm just looking for you 12 to go out and to head out and, and to take what I have put in you and to live it out a little bit. See... See, guys, I've been, I've been teaching into you. And it's like Jesus is saying, and I've, I'm hoping that this has been working in you so that something powerful can come out of you. And Jesus uh, constantly was reminding his boys that this is what we wear as his followers. And we give this up. And I'll tell you what, I'll be honest. I, I'm, I, can, I, can, I know how to wear this. Like, I'm not bragging, but I, I, I'm not aware of this. And I'd say you do too. But just like me, you know how to put this on just as fast too, don't you? And that's not what Jesus called us to. He didn't call us to be this kind of interchangeable mix personality disciple. Now he said, uh, I'd rather have you hot or cold, but not lukewarm. He's called us to a life of servanthood. He took off the royal robes of heaven and put on the sackcloth of humanity and said, would you follow me? Deny yourself daily. Crucify yourself daily to the whims and wants to put on this robe and follow after me. Serve rather than look for ways to be, to be served. And I'll tell you what, I know, how to, I know how to wear this, but I know how to take this off super quick and put this on. And say, how about a little meantime? How about a little time of relaxation? I know some of you, you're, you're, you have a, a level of criticism in you, and you're thinking, but that's what Jesus did. He would retreat back from the crowds, and he would find a way to relax. Yeah, he found a way to find rest, but it didn't stop him from serving. Like, I'm not saying don't go on vacation here. I'm saying don't go on vacation and forget that you're a servant while you're in Tahiti. Because Christ was always a servant. As he rested, he prayed. He prayed for the disciples. He prayed for those that didn't know the kingdom of God. He prayed for those that were hard-hearted towards the message of Jesus. He prayed. When, when Jesus was resting one time, a group of disciples found out that there were people looking for him, and they wanted healing, and they said, no, Jesus needs his rest. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I've got time. They're more important than this. I think there's some things that uh, are pretty significant in the passage that we just read. I mean, this is the time when Jesus calls his disciples, but he's actually turning them into an apostle. And you're saying, well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is a disciple is someone that God is working in. They're students. They're students. Like a lot of you in this room, you're disciples. You know the word. You know what Jesus is doing. You know who he is. You know the example that he set to love, to forgive, to serve, to give. You know that stuff like right here. And it's just a matter now, are, is it working in you? Like is, is it happening for you? Is it growing? And that's what an apostle means. See, a disciple means God's working in you. An apostle means God is working what? 
through you. And there's a difference there. And really what we're seeing in Matthew 9 is this test, the test of compassion. Because that word where Jesus is motivated by in verse 36, this deep compassion, is that he had compassion for the crowds. That's a word of deep compassion. We don't really have an English word that goes that deep for the heartbreak that Jesus had for people. But Jesus didn't say, get away from me. He said, I want to be with you. Your problem is a problem to me. It doesn't... It doesn't seem like a big problem to others, but it's a problem to me because it's a problem to you. And since you're in need, I'm going to make sure that I meet your need the best way I know how. And disciples disciples know that about Jesus. They know that's Jesus' MO. They know that's how he operates. They know that's how they should be following. But an apostle is one who says, I'm going to take that teaching that God's been doing in me, and I'm not going to release it out of me. I'm going to allow God to do a good work in me so that God will do a good work through me. Two weeks ago, when you went and got diapers, wipes, lotions, and soap for two organizations in our community that are at the forefront of a ministry that we're not, you were able to bless them because you took your discipleship. I know what Jesus would do, and you allowed God to work through you, and you became an apostle. You were sent to go and help and to bless so that God's name could be glorified. Today is just the same as we ask you to meal pack and to make like 35,000, 40,000 meals, incredible number. You're saying, boy, how are we all going to get that done? Many hands do what? Make light work. Pray. The harvest is big. Pray for some, pray for some workers. But guys, I know how it works. There's a, there's a lot of people that are in this room and Satan whispers to us. We have mixed feelings. Uh, we have misunderstandings about teaching. And we just, we think all sorts of stuff as why we can't do what God's called us to do especially on a day like today. Like maybe you have feelings today of feelings of inadequacy where you're just like, I got nothing to offer. Like I don't, I don't know a thing about packing meals. I don't know a thing about serving God. I don't, have a, I don't have really anything to offer the Lord. And I think one of the things that Satan whispers to us and holds us back from serving like on a day to day is just simple feelings of in, uh, inadequacy. We just don't feel adequate to do it. Moses felt this way in the Old Testament. God called him to this great task to set the Israelite people free from the enslavement of the Egyptians. And Moses was asked to go talk to the king of the, of the, of the known world, Egypt, called Pharaoh. And Moses tells God, uh, you got the wrong guy. I don't know how to give speeches. I get tongue-tied. I'm not the man for the job. Can you imagine telling God you're not the man for the job? I love how God works this detail out. Okay, Moses, you're right. You are a stutterbug. Your brother will do the talking, but you're still going to represent. That didn't get him out of it, did it? How about Gideon? You look in the book of Judges, there's a guy by the name of Gideon. Judges just means leader. He was leading the people of Israel. Gideon was a guy that took on the Midianites, and when he thought he couldn't fight them and face them and defeat them, he looked at God and said, God, you can't do anything through me. I'm from a washed up family, a no good family, a failure of a family, and I'm a failure of a guy. And God says, that's exactly who I need. I need your weakness to do something strong in. Don't you love it? And what God is teaching us throughout the scriptures is it doesn't matter what you come at him with, you're not inadequate. We learned last week there's five talent people, two talent people, and one talent people. You know, we also learned from that story of the parable of the talents. There are no zero talent people. God has equipped us to serve and to love and to forgive and to be just like Christ, the hands and feet of Christ. He has called us to do that. I know some of you are looking at me and you're like, but I got a past. I got some things that I'm hung up on. Maybe that's the thing that's barring me 
from doing something special for God. And maybe you're allowing your past to dictate your future, and it's giving you all sorts of feelings of inadequacy. And let me just remind you of the people that God used in a powerful way that had a past. King David, murderer, adulterer, conniver, bad dad. And yet God looks at that guy and says, that's a guy after my own heart. And you go, well, how's that? Man, how can a bad man so sinful be a man after his own heart? Because he was willing to be used by God. He didn't allow those things to stop him. Isn't that great? Or how about a woman by the name of Rahab? We know her as a prostitute. That's how the Bible describes this poor woman. By her past, Rahab the prostitute. She gave up her life of selling her body for money. She went and pursued God. She gave her heart to God. And you know where we find Rahab, the prostitute? We find her smack dab in the lineage of Jesus. If you want to get to Jesus from, from Adam all the way to Jesus, you got to go through Rahab. And God says, I can use you. I know you got to pass, but it's not too notorious, not too criminal, not too worthless. God, God doesn't waste anything in you. He can use it. How about Moses? Moses had an anger issue. He had an anger issue all the way up until his death. But God used him even though I had an anger issue. Oh, by the way, though, that, that anger issue did keep him from some special promises, but that didn't keep God from not using him. How about Jonah? Like some of you are in this room and you're blatantly disobedient. You know what God's asking of you, but you're blatantly disobedient. That was Jonah. God even still used Jonah, didn't he? Even in his blatant disobedience, God used Jonah to accomplish a greater purpose. How about the woman that was met by Jesus at the well? A divorced woman, multiple husbands, divorced. She was just going through them like that, right? One after the other, and Jesus is able to use her in a powerful way. How about Paul? Paul, who's a persecutor of Christians, so notorious that he had to have a name change. He once was called Saul, and God says, we can't even use your name. It's such mud in the community. We got to change it to Paul. Because something new has happened in you. You've been transformed. And that murderous man that killed Christians, God-fearing people, God was able to use. So I'm just saying to you, what is the excuse of inadequacy that you have to tell our God? He hasn't blessed you. You don't have a gift. You don't have a talent. He would say, shame on you. I've placed it and resided it in your heart. You've got a past. God says, great, I can use your past. Remember, you were washed. You were sanctified as the scriptures teach. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit. Satan would tell you otherwise. He, could tell, he would tell you, you, you're not able. You're not worthy. I think another reason that Satan tells us to get out of this shirt and start putting on this robe is just simple. We're just paralyzed by indecision. Some of you in this room, you say, I want to serve, but I don't know where to serve. I just haven't found my place of service. And so you're, you're just on the fence. You're just riding the fence right now. You say, I'll wear the robe until I'm called, but I just don't know where to serve. And so since I don't know where to serve, just keep on serving, serving me. And maybe that's how church is for you around here. Everyone's serving you right now, but you're not, you're not serving the Lord and Bethany receiving some of the benefits of your service. Maybe that's, maybe that's where you're at. You're just in, it's the indecision. God, I don't know where, where to serve. I don't, I don't know where I should be. And Satan would, would love for you just to sit in this room and small groups and Bible fellowship class and just wear this robe and be fed spiritual knowledge all day long, keep you in the place of disciple, pupil, learner. You know everything there is to know about the Bible and God. You just never exercise it out. You're a spiritual glutton. And he'd love for you to be a fat cat, Satan would, and just hang out in this and, and just flex your spiritual muscle from time to time. Preacher, here's where you're wrong. Yeah, I know I'm wrong. I'm wrong every Sunday just about. 
And you become the Pharisee of the church in the robe. But how about exercising your faith like Christ? Guys, it's hard to, it's hard. It, it, it is hard to shake the boat when you're man on the oars. Some of them are just paralyzed by indecision. I just don't know where to say. Pray about it. Have you talked to a pastor about it? Have you said, God, help me find a have you, just, have you just like tried some paths of discovery in the church, marked down, I would like to serve, and just said, I think this is a good spot, and just tried a few places? Like, I don't need to be committed. I just, just checking it out, seeing if this is the place that's good for me. I think another thing that Satan does is he, he uses an attitude of indifference. I think this is the biggest one. This is the one that's creeping up in the church the most. The New Testament, Paul, he says to Timothy that there will be a day where the love of most will grow cold. Like, we'll just be cold to people. We'll just be callous and shallow to people and say things like, not my problem. <laughs> like, this isn't my problem. They have 35, 40,000 meals to prep. They shouldn't have done that. I mean, like, that's not my problem. I got plans, hard-pressed plans. Listen, if you got hard-pressed plans, let me catch you off the hook right here. If someone needs you in the next hour, go to them if they need you. If they don't need you, I don't know what to tell you, but be convicted by some things. Allow God to work on you that given 40 minutes of your time is going to make a huge impact, not only in the life of others, but probably in your life as well. I know how some of us look at the indifference. We say, well, I've, I've worn this shirt before in the church. I got burnt. No one recognized me. No one patted me on the back. No one gave me my due. Oh, that happens. That happens. And then we go run into this robe and we say, I need a little bit of me time. I need, I need, I need more relaxation. I just, or some of you jumped into serving at church or some parachurch organization, just serving the Lord in some capacity. And you put on this shirt and you're like, this is awesome, man. First three months, it was amazing, right? Children's ministry, amazing, absolutely. I love hanging out with those babies. Just love it, love it, love it. And then six months later, if I hear another baby cry, that's like a new job, right? New job's always great the first three weeks. I got a great boss. I love my job. I love my workers. Three, three weeks later, what is it? My workers stink. My boss, jeez, whoa, arrogant. I can't believe it. I, I hate this job. I need to find something different. It was like me with elementary school. I love first and second grade. Love first and second grade. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, all the way through college. Nightmare. Nightmare situation. Can we bring recess back was my question for my sixth grade teacher. Uh, you know, I would say things like, math, how's that going to help me? Right? You came up with every, re you, ready for school, first and second grade. Like, mom, have my lunch packed. I'm ready to go. But my senior year of high school, they were kicking me out of the house to get to school so that I would graduate. Things change. Attitudes change. And I know how it is with serving. Gosh, I love to serve. This is so amazing. This is so important. I'm seeing the, I'm seeing the results. And after a time, you just become indifferent to it. You become cold to it. You, you stop seeing people on their need. You stop becoming compassionate to people. And you say, I need a little bit of me time. And we run back to this robe. Sometimes it could just be that Satan whispers to us just feelings of insignificance. Like you, you don't have anything to offer. Like you just, you got nothing. And, and you just don't have anything that that you can present that's going to really 
I mean, strategically help somebody in a big way. Like, you might be able to, to move some tables around, but, but Satan's going to say, what's that for somebody? I mean, how's that really helping anybody? You're better off just letting people help you because, because life's hard on you right now. You're in a season of life. Have you heard this one? Have you heard Satan whisper to you before? Listen, draw back. You're in a season of life right now. And right now, you need some people helping you out. And so pull back and don't help anybody else. You need, you need to work on you before you can work and help others. Boy, that's not a Jesus line. That, that's, that's a Satan line. That's a Satan line to get you out of this shirt and put you into this robe to make you cool and indifferent and to feel insignificant. I love what Rick Warren as a pastor had to say. He said, God gave me a gift and God gave you a gift. And my gift is not for me, but for you. And your gift is not for you, but for me. And if I don't use the gift that God has entrusted me, then I'm robbing you. And if you don't use the gift that God has blessed you with, then you are cheating me. You know, Rick Warren came up from that, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul says, you know, we're all part of one body, and if one part of the body suffers, every part suffers, and if one part is honored, we're all honored with it, meaning we all need each other to make up the body of Christ. Everybody has a part to play. We all have different functions, but that doesn't mean your function is less important than someone else's function. Friends, I might be the mouth but we need some hands and feet. We need some heartbeats around here. I need to warn you that if your pursuit is this white robe in this temporal life, this is all you're going to get. Like if this is your pursuit, this is what you're going to get. Jesus makes it clear. John the Revelator pours this out in Revelation chapter 7. There's this amazing unfolding of what John sees in heaven. And, and we see Jesus, and he's still in this shirt. <laughs> Guys, Jesus is still wearing this shirt in heaven, even though he deserves to wear this. And you know who takes this off in heaven and puts this robe on? You and me. If we're willing to lay this robe aside here on earth and wear this and become like an example of Jesus, God gives us this. Look at Revelation chapter 7 with me. It's on the screen. I'll read it out of the Bible here. Verse 9, it says, After this, John says, I looked and before me a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Friends, if you can't get along with people here on earth that are from different cultures, who speak a different language, that have a different color of skin, who are different than you, you're going to have a real big tough time in heaven. And they're all standing before the throne. Why? Because they're one. Why? Because they're one in Christ. That's why. And they're standing before the throne, before the lamb. I love how they explain Jesus. He's a lamb. That's a sacrificial animal and they are wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb to jesus verse 14 says they they have washed their robes who did we did the, the, those in the multitude those who are in heaven worshiping the lamb the savior they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb now this is a picture of purity 
This is a picture of we don't have sin anymore. We stand perfect before God because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. He has forgiven our sins. He's forgiven our guilt. He's forgiven our past. When you're believing in Christ and stepping out on faith and following after Jesus, that white robe is yours. Verse 16, never again will they hunger. You know what that means? They won't be working for food. These days are behind them. No longer will they thirst. They won't be searching for water, having to dig wells, making things pure, able to... Why? These days are behind them. No scorching heat. The sun will not beat down on them. Why? These days are behind them. They're now shaded. For the Lamb at the center of the throne. Who's at the center? Jesus is at the center. Will be their shepherd. Isn't that what he... Isn't that what he looked at at the crowds and said they're like sheep without a shepherd? God is continually leading, serving, pastoring. Isn't it awesome how God never stops, how Jesus never stops serving? He keeps giving and giving and giving. He still is wearing the shirt. And he will lead them to springs of living water, everlasting water, everlasting life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Friends, the white robe in heaven is so much greater and better than any white robe here on earth. That white robe in heaven is true peace, peace with God. It's truly relaxation, rest for the weary, absent from the body, present with the Lord, forgiven and made right to be in the presence of a holy and righteous God. But it requires us to follow after Jesus to live up to his great standard and becoming servants rather thinking that we need to be served. And maybe today it fits perfectly for you. Like it's, it fits perfectly to serve. It's it's just like, no problem. Good, let's go pack some meals. But for some of you, it's gonna be really difficult. In the next 10 minutes, you're gonna struggle. Like, do I get up and walk out? What do I do? Listen, honestly, I say this with, with, with truth. I don't want you feeling guilty walking out of here. And if somebody is relying on you right now, you go to them. But if someone's not, you need to be convicted by the Spirit about what to do. Pray. God, what do I do? I'm not going to sing the song. I'm going to pray. God, what do I do? But what I want to do right now is to pray. And then after I pray, we're going to give instructions and directions on what to do per campus. But I'm telling you, this is going to be an awesome moment in the life of this church.